Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm 5x5 story expert Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm film scholar and bestest new little sister, Noelle LaCroix. And we're here today to talk about Faith, Hope, and Trick, the third episode of season three. Woo! Faith, Hope, and Trick aired on October 13th, 1998 and was written by David Greenwald and directed by James A. Conner. If you're new to Still Pretty, welcome, but hold on to your spoiler sensitivity because we are likely to talk about anything that happens in the entire run of all of Buffy. We are fully spoiled, so uh, if you're spoiler sensitive, maybe binge the entire show and then come on back. We'll be here when you're done. (laughs) Obviously, something in your bottle needs uncorking, so let's go on patrol. In Faith, Hope, and Trick, Buffy isn't allowed on campus until she and her mother meet with Principal Snyder to get her back into school. So the Scoobies step off campus to meet her for a picnic. Walking nearby is Scott Hope, who likes Buffy and is cute. But Buffy's plans for her new life include more than just dating. All right, yes, date and shop and hang out and go to school and save the world from unspeakable demons. You know, I want to do girly stuff. Out in the dark Sunnydale night, two vampires sit in the back of a limo and talk about their plans for Sunnydale. Cloven-hoofed Kakistos wants only to kill the Slayer, but Trick is into having a bit more fun while hanging out in a town with a death rate like Sunnydale. Buffy dreams about Angel hating her for killing him, which is rough, but then she enjoys going to see Principal Snyder, who is forced to allow Buffy back into school, and there's some satisfaction in that. At school, Giles wants to perform a binding spell to prevent Akathla from returning, and needs more details on killing Angel from Buffy. And Angel? Big fight. Angel got the pointy end of the sword. Akathla sucked him into hell instead of the world. That's Buffy it. At the bronze, Buffy and the gang are hanging out when Scott Hope asks Buffy to dance. And Buffy's clearly not ready. Or that interested. Good on you, Buffy. Follow that instinct. On the dance floor, a goth-esque girl is dancing with a vampire from the 70s. And when she leaves with him, Buffy follows with the gang, ready to slay. But it turns out, she doesn't need Buffy's help. I got it. You're uh, Buffy, right? I'm Faith. I'm going to go on on a limb and say there's a new Slayer in town. As everyone is charmed by Faith, including Scott Hope, Buffy isn't that impressed. Meanwhile, Trick is planning a global takeover via that sweet T3 internet connection. But Kikistos <laughs> is focused on killing the Slayer. Trick tells him there's more than one in town, and Kikistos says he'll kill them all. Back at Buffy's, as Joyce is getting to know Faith, she has some mom thoughts about what a second Slayer in town could mean for Buffy. But when she finds out that Faith is only there because Buffy died that one time, it comes as a bit of a shock. Oh, I hate this. I hate your life. Mom, I I, I know you didn't choose this. I know it chose you. I have tried to march in the Slayer Pride Parade, but I don't want you to die. Buffy and Faith go out patrolling, and the tension rises between them. But just as they're about to fight each other, Kikistos' vamps attack. Faith's trauma comes out as she gets into beating up one vampire and leaves Buffy to almost get killed by the rest of them. When Buffy talks to Giles about it, she mentions the name and Giles says Kikistos is one of the worst vampires ever. Buffy can't get over the timing. Now, this guy shows up two days ago, right? Right around the same time my bestest new little sister makes the scene. 
think he and Faith are connected. Giles, there are two things that I don't believe in. Coincidence and leprechauns. As Buffy's rushing out to talk to Faith, Scott Hope stops her in the hallway and asks her out in the worst way possible, but which is maybe supposed to be charming or whatever. But she decides to give him a chance, and then in one of those grand coincidences that Buffy does not believe in, he gives her a clotter ring. Because he's a big stupid weirdo. Buffy says she can't do this, which is the correct response, and then Giles comes down the hallway to give Buffy some news. Did you reach the retreat? Yes, I did. What did her watcher say? Her watcher's dead. Buffy goes to Faith's crappy motel to confront her about Kikistos and her watcher being dead. When Faith hears Kikistos' name, she starts packing. Just as she's about to leave, Kikistos shows up with his goons and Faith freaks out. They run into an abandoned warehouse to hide and Faith tells Buffy that she watched Kikistos kill her watcher and she got scared and ran. But before they can get a plan together to take down Kikistos, they realize they're in his lair as all the vamps come out swinging. But when Buffy starts to get the best of Kikistos, Trick sees the writing on the wall. If we don't do something, the master could get killed. Well, the birds are with him. As Kikistos is about to kill Buffy, Faith grabs a splintered beam and takes out Kikistos. The next day at school, Giles tells Buffy and Willow that the council has approved Faith staying in Sunnydale under Giles' supervision. And then Buffy tells them what happened with Angel, that Willow's spell worked, that she killed Angel, not Angelus. Buffy leaves, and Willow talks to Giles. I know you don't like me playing with mystical forces, but I can really help with this binding spell. There is no spell. Buffy finds Scott Hope and tells him she'd still like to go to the film festival with him, if he's into it, and they decide to go that night. She says that she has one thing to do first, and then she'll be free. She goes to the mansion and leaves her clotter ring on the floor, saying goodbye to Angel. She leaves... Later, the mansion starts to shake, and then Angel appears, naked and trembling, on the floor. All right, Noelle, so here we are. Now, the third episode of every season is usually when things really get cooking, and that is absolutely true of season three, which honestly is one of the best seasons of Buffy. I am so excited. So overall, what did you think about Faith, Hope, and Trick? Uh, my notes for Faith, Hope, and Trick are really just, she's here, she's here, she's here, she's here, she's here. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I am so excited to get to talk about Faith. Um, but before we, before we get into all of that wonderfulness, Mm -hmm. I realized that I haven't talked really at all about those angel dreams that Buffy has Mm -hmm. throughout the beginning of season three. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a look at those for a minute. Yeah. Um, before we get into the rest of the episode. So there's just a ton going on Mm -hmm. with these dreams. Um, So Faith, Hope, and Trick gives us this three beat Mm -hmm. with Buffy's dreams about Angel. And I think that we get the best and strongest one here, which is really, really satisfying. Mm -hmm. Um, But Buffy has had a dream about Angel every episode this season so far. Mm -hmm. And Anne... The dream was a bit of a fake out for the audience, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Buffy on the beach. I mean, I guess it's possible that Buffy could be on some astral beach with Angel in a perfect right. romance novel composition. Sure. You know, it's like this sweet, romantic 
kind mm-hmm. of scene until he whispers, even if you kill me. Right. And she wakes up on Skid Row and we have sirens. Mm-hmm. So we have this really stark contrast between what's going on, you know, what's going on in her mind, what the what the sort of um, scenery mm-hmm. is and what her reality is. And then in Dead Man's Party, Buffy dreams of walking through the empty high school Mm-hmm. And meeting Angel in the courtyard, and it's daylight. Yeah. And she asks him if she's dreaming, and he says, I'm the wrong person to ask. Yeah. And she tells him that she's afraid, and he says, you should be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really weird and ominous, and I feel like it doesn't fit super well with the rest of the episode. Yeah, it I does feel a little nice... weird. It feels like it's an excuse to to have David Boreanaz in the opening credits. So that people, yeah. so that he's still there, and we don't forget Angel like that was going to happen. Yeah, we really, yeah. we really need Angel to be here mm. all along. Yeah, yeah. So we have to, we have to put him in the stream. But I like that as kind of a follow up to the dream in Anne, mm-hmm. where they're clearly in this fantasy space. Yeah, and now we've moved to a more reality based space. This is her actual high school, mm-hmm. and of course, no one is there. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit. It's a little bit more reality based. Mm -hmm. And then the faith, hope and trick angel dream sequence is just the best. It's my favorite of the three of them. Um, It's we get that great. I love that Buffy has an establishing shot in her dream. Right. (laughs) Because we see the outside of the bronze. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, and it almost for half a second, you think maybe we're actually in the, right you know, yes like we're exactly. actually in did the i miss an episode and angel came back yeah. or what happened I'm like yeah. wait what but of course angel <laughs> is wearing a white shirt which yes. would never happen which like he never this does. is how we know it's a dream he does not wear light colors yeah he does not he does mm-hmm. not and of course it's absolutely necessary for this right wonderful moment this mm-hmm. effect where he starts to bleed yeah. from the inside out so yeah. good mm-hmm. so good it's just wonderful and the way he squeezes the clotter ring until his hand bleeds and we see that he's wearing his ring and it's so vivid and affecting and I just I love it yeah I love it it really drives home Buffy's experience of having done this horrible what what she perceives to be unforgivable thing right him Mm -hmm. and that's really I mean that's really how she sees it she really is making I don't want to say she's making his death all about her. I yeah. don't mean it mm-hmm. that way. I mean that she is really grappling, you know, in her unconscious mm-hmm. with having done this horrible yeah. thing yeah. to this person that she loves. And the fear really comes through. She's afraid that he's angry with her. Right. And that he could never forgive her for what she's done. She keeps trying to explain Mm-hmm. That she had to do this. Yeah. And he's so, you know, he's so hostile, especially in this, in the dream mm-hmm. that we get here. And then we have the unfortunate angel zombie face. And oh, I right. just don't. I'm like, mm, right. Mm, and then, he, and then he messes up the line, too, which always drives me crazy. Because yes. because it's he says, go to hell. And then you see him with the zombie face and he's got this horrible grimace on. And then he says, yeah. I did. Right. But it's supposed to be, I did. 
right? That's how it's supposed to. Every well, time I see him, like, Lorianna's said... not done one yeah. more take. Yeah. Well, unless he's quoting her saying go to hell to him. Mm-hmm. Did she ever say that to him? She might have. She might have at some yeah. point. But even so, like, it's just, yeah. I don't know. It just it seems so weird. And it, and, and I feel like every time that line comes, and it's a petty little thing, but like, I'm always like, no, no but it's, it's so distracting because it pulls right. you out. Right. Like a weird line reading or mm-hmm. a weird, you know, a yeah. weird line or a weird does, performance will absolutely pull you out of the story. It does feel And then you're like, off. wait. Yeah, and it's just not right. But um, but I mean, about these dreams, like, here's the thing. Like, everybody knows how I feel about dream sequences. Generally, I find them to be self-indulgent, pretentious. And when we get to the end of season four with Restless, oh, my God, that's going to be an interesting discussion. Everybody don't at me. I know. I know you love Restless. I hate it. It's fine. It's fine. I don't need to love it for it to be just everything you love about it. It's fine. Um, But... But the dream sequences in Buffy generally do serve a narrative purpose. And so I think that they hold their own, you know. Um, And in this particular instance, I actually think that the dream sequences are okay Uh, for a couple of reasons. When we do this, this three beat, which, of course, I always love a three beat. Right. Um, But the thing, the three beat doesn't have clarity, you know, because the three beat is establish, you know, um, reconfirm and then subvert. Right. And we kind Mm -hmm. of have that a little bit and that, you know, in the opening one, they're together. He's holding her. Um, you know, in the middle one, they're walking together, so they're not actually touching and he's much Mm -hmm. more distant from her. And he's also, you know, he's saying you should be afraid, but he's not directly saying like, you killed me. Like he's not throwing a guilt trip at her, which is what he does in the other two, you know? And, um, and then in the last one though, I mean, it is absolutely the most effective of them all because she sees him, his face rotting, you know, him, him going into this, like, you know, really like evil place, like go to hell, you know, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and really angry with her um but but what we're really processing are is her ability to process everything that she went through and that that's the only way that she can do it because up until this point of course she hasn't told anybody yet nobody knows that she had to kill angel and it wasn't angelus like nobody knows exactly what happened to her or what that experience was you know and so she has to process this for herself and these um I think especially in this episode, because this episode is about processing trauma. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. this is about that final. She's been working her way through this trauma in a lot of ways. We had um, I Only Have Eyes for You last season where she was working through her ability to forgive herself for having turned him. This is, of course, before she killed him. So then she has to go Mm -hmm. through that process all over again. Um, But she's, you know, but in the dream, she's like, you had done these things. Like, I had to kill you. You were going to suck the world into hell. Um, And she's defending herself. And the thing is, is that she's not defending herself to him. She's defending herself to herself. You know, like this is this is not about her talking to Angel. This is about her talking to herself. And he is, I think, at this point, what she sees is her other half. And and he's missing, you know, Mm -hmm. so she's processing all that stuff for herself. But she's processing that through this imagery of him and her dreams. And um, and I think that it works pretty well, you know, as far as the dreams go. They're also not terribly self-indulgent. You know, they're they're more direct and less like, you know, um, abstract, which a lot of people like to put in their to in their dream sequences to show how artistic they are. Again, restless. I'll talk about you when I get there. Um <laughs> 
And uh, so, I mean, having these dreams and helping her process through her trauma and also keeping us connected with her emotional state with regard to that, because we don't have her, you know, she doesn't have the ability to talk about it. The people around her don't know, you know, what's going on yet. Um, so, so I think that it works really well. I like the dream sequences, you know, in this circumstance. I think that they're, they're pretty good. They work really well. And it also gives us a chance to spend a little more time with David Boreanaz um, because we, we miss him. We miss Angel. <laughs> Because, because, you know, otherwise he just gets stabbed in the stomach and then he's gone forever. I know. But then they see play. him again. The close your eyes. I mean, her dreams are actually um, scored. Like we have the close right? your eyes theme, which, by the way, every time we get those hints of da, 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 I, I want to die. It kills me every single time. Yep. Yes, it does. It's so sad. <laughs> it is the saddest song ever written. <laughs> It is so sad. I love I love it when the music works yes. on, on someone. I love it. Oh my I god. And that it. is one of the most powerful responses. Like there's there's certain scoring, you know, done like throughout Bear McCreary, who's working now and doing like Outlander and Agents of Shield and he did Black Sales. He does scoring that's just unbelievable. But like prior to that, this is the only song where I was like that and the oh. and the Hulk from the TV show in the seventies, the Hulk sad walking away music. <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> so sad at the end of every it's episode. So sad. I can't make friends and sad music. Um, but, oh my God. but this is like iconic. Close your eyes, and it's so, and it brings you right back to that moment when she, you know, kisses him before she stabs him through the heart, and it's just, it's so incredibly powerful. Great use of music yeah. all around mm-hmm. on Buffy. Oh, absolutely. All right, so you want to get into faith? I know you got a lot of oh stuff my to say. God. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Should okay, I just I should have... I just wind you? up like a child's toy and well, let you go okay. no i mean i have so many thoughts yes. on faith so i'm gonna need you to like reel me in because... <laughs> i don't think anybody wants you to be reeled in go oh for it oh my god god damn it okay. we're all so excited to be talking about faith i mean this is the faith episode this is when she comes faith in faith yeah. is fantastic is. and like and right off the bat like i remembered that i loved faith i didn't remember how great yeah. she was like yeah. Right away. Like, right away. She is this wonderful foil for Buffy. Yes. And I just love it. Mm-hmm. I mean, from that first fight with the vampire, mm-hmm. Faith is this fantastic reversal of Buffy. She's looking at Buffy and Co. And yeah. she's, when she's fighting, instead of looking at the vamp, <laughs> and then she's got that great headbutt. Yep. You know, she says, I'm Faith. And then she headbutts yeah. him backwards it's fantastic and then she stakes him with her left hand uh-huh. um we know buffy is right-handed i like the idea that faith is left-handed mm-hmm. i think she's actually ambidextrous i mm-hmm. think we see that yeah. throughout the show yeah um and for once that was not innuendo mm-hmm. right <laughs> you know and we've got faith wearing jewel tones mm-hmm. and black while buffy's in a lot of pastels Buffy wears a lot of light blue, a lot of baby blue. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that gorgeous ombre pink top that's yeah. kind of sheer and flimsy because, of course, Buffy's appearance isn't her armor, mm-hmm. but Faith's really is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all those like, she's got all those like hard edges and then the arm warmers, mm-hmm. which are not quite gauntlets, but 
Yeah. Kind of. Um, and even her makeup, you know, her oh eye God, makeup yeah. is so dark and her lip, you know, lipstick is so lipstick. dark. Like she is, you know, basically this very sharp, edgy contrast in everything. She has as much contrast visually in herself. Her hair is so dark, you know, like all of these things all come together to like be faith, you know, mm-hmm. and I love all of that. I love that Faith and Buffy share a deep down identity based pain, but Faith takes hers and projects it outward. Yeah. You know, yeah. my dead mother hits harder than that. Mm-hmm. This is me, you undead bastard, or she's yeah. pommeling this vampire. Well, Buffy projects hers inward, yep. which is what we just talked about a little bit with her dreams about Angel. And the way she hides her pain from mm-hmm. Giles and her friends, and mm-hmm. she's trying so hard to be normal, right? When everything, nothing in her life is normal, mm-hmm. but that's always been Buffy's, like, that's the brass ring that she just can't quite reach is yeah. that normal life. Um, I love that Faith is a storyteller. Yeah, Buffy is keeping her stories to herself, mm-hmm. but Faith is just all out there. You know, with stories aplenty, happy to share them. When Buffy tries to tell the group a story about the three, no one has Mm -hmm. any, no one shows any interest because they don't have a point of reference for that. They weren't there for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other story that Buffy does have about Oz being a werewolf isn't really a story at all. Right. It's kind of a long story. I got kind of a long story. I got it. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, I mean, Faith is performative. Like, you know, I love this idea of Faith being external and Buffy being internal, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and Faith is highly performative. And that comes from her internal place. I mean, that performance in itself is also an armor, you know, I mean, she is she is putting herself and Buffy is so open and vulnerable and soft on all the places where faith is hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have that moment too, like with Giles where Giles is like, well, you know, she doesn't have the watcher. Her, her mother is dead. Like her, she doesn't have the friends and, you know, community Mm -hmm. that you have. And, um, and she dropped out of school, you know? So she's not, she has nothing but the slaying, like the slaying is everything. It is her entire identity. Whereas Buffy has to kind of like take all of these identities and find a way to make them all work together, you know? And until recently, even her mother didn't know that she was a slayer, you know? So, um, so faith has this real external performative value to her, you know, and Buffy Mm -hmm. is very internal. And when she tries to project outward, um, you know, it doesn't work for her because that's not who she is. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I The place that I love the contrast between Buffy and Faith the most in this episode, though, is at the dinner table. Yes. Mm-hmm. Joyce is trying so hard, you guys, yes. to be a good mom and yes. like march in the Slayer mm-hmm. Pride Parade. Yeah. Um, And a side note, I know we'll talk about Joyce in a minute, mm-hmm. but this I actually really love the Joyce that we get here. Yes. Because mm-hmm. she's been informed of this whole new world of slayers mm-hmm. and vampires and like slaying is a job and they're all of these, you know, moving parts. And she's really trying to get a sense of how it all works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's Faith who seems to love it and is yeah. so different in yeah. her affect mm-hmm. from Buffy. And Joyce is like, like it, we've talked about the clunkiness of the queer coming out narrative Mm -hmm. a couple of times, but here's a place where I feel like it really works because Joyce is like, okay, let me like, here is another person who is like my daughter. Let me find out what this is about. I need, you know, a broader 
picture mm-hmm. of what it means to be a slayer. Um, yeah, no, I think it's I really lo- great. Yeah. And I, I especially love too, because like there's one point with Joyce, and we'll just go ahead and talk about it now because we're here. Um, yeah. But there's one point with Joyce where she says, yeah, Buffy can be so negative, you know? And I'm like, oh <laughs> God, shut up. But when we get her in the kitchen... Like when we get that moment where yeah. we see and Joyce is like, I, I'm, I'm here. I want to support you, but this is dangerous. It's not good for you. And she loves it. So while it seems like Joyce is all like, oh, faith is so wonderful. Faith is so wonderful. Faith is wonderful to Joyce because faith represents the possibility that this part of Buffy's identity, the slaying, that faith mm-hmm. could do that and Buffy could be safe, you know? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. as a parent, I sympathize with that a million percent. Like you want your kid to be safe. You want your kid to be happy and you know, and here's faith and faith loves it and you don't like it that much, you know, like why, you know, and, but at the same time, like Buffy's there, like identifying, you know, her, she's like, no, I am a slayer. And I, it's just, what what do you have to be? You know, I mean, it's that whole thing. And like in this instance, like actually Joyce in this episode, with the exception of that one slam where she's like, Buffy's so negative. Uh, Aside from that, I really like Joyce in this episode. And I think that she does really great. And it's, it's, I love that everybody else is entranced with faith because faith is entrancing. Like faith is, Mm -hmm. is a powerful performative person. And she, you know, she gets your attention, but for Joyce, her like her love for faith like her adoring faith isn't about faith it's about Buffy you know and it's about what she wants for her daughter and I really kind of like that yeah I love I love Christine Sutherland's line reading when she says I oh I hate this I hate your life when Buffy says you know she's like you you know she she finds out out her daughter died she died yeah (laughs) And I love, I love how every time it comes up that Buffy died, it's, it was just for a minute, just not, you just know, for a few minutes, like, it was fine. Just a couple minutes, it was, it was fine. fine. Yeah, no but I, deal. yeah, I completely yeah, but, sympathize with Joyce in this, though, and totally. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love, I love that emotional roller coaster mm-hmm. that Joyce goes on. Yeah, um, you know, apart from the the mom splaining of slaying like right like what do you know about being a slayer you know i mean she's trying like she doesn't understand but at least here it's because she wants what's best for buffy you know and she wants buffy to have a safe and she doesn't want her daughter out there where she's going to get killed you know nobody's really explained the fact that slayers die all the time you know i don't want you to die i don't want and that just hits so hard god yeah when she says i don't want you to die like oh no it's no, it's so sad. Oh my god! But I just—it's it, a really—I don't know. I don't know. The contrast between the contrast between Buffy and Faith is so wonderful. And then, yeah. of course, we find out—you know—there's this reversal mm-hmm. when Faith's trauma, yeah, comes out to play. Yeah, and Buffy walks her through that. Mm-hmm. You know, she tells her, like, you did, you know, Faith is is so... um, You did the right thing. Yeah. You know, when she says to Faith, you did the right thing. You know, Mm -hmm. don't die. That's your job. Don't die. You know? Um, Yeah. And so when she walks um, Faith through that, and she also walks herself through it, because earlier in the episode, in that that dream with Angel, she's defending herself. You know, you were going to suck the world into hell. (laughs) I had to kill you. I didn't have a choice. I didn't want to, you know. And so later, you know, when she's saying that to Faith, she's also saying that to herself. And that's what allows her to, you know, to kind of release 
all of that and accept that she did the right thing. She did what she had to do and it's over. You know, Angel mm-hmm. is gone and that's it. So one of the things too that I love about this whole thing with Faith is that, you know, they first see her. She's with this 1970s vampire, which of course reflects on the opening episode, the pilot episode where she saw Willow with a, um, with a vampire whose outfit was carbon dated. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and she goes out and of course, you know, like the whole thing is like to rescue Willow from the, from the vampire. And she goes out and we do the same thing again. So we're like replaying that. And that's one of the things like when you brought up like faith as a foil for Buffy, like mm-hmm. we're having faith kind of reflect and reframe, other things that we've done up until now, you know, and kind of bring it into this new context, which is one of the things like, I love everything about Faith. I love Eliza Dushku. I love the performance. I love the writing. I love the way the character is built. But I also love that here we are in season three. And instead of kind of like going back and repeating the same thing, we're putting ourselves into a new context. You know, we've had two Slayers before, but we had Kendra and Kendra was here for an episode and then gone. And then of course came in to die you know, yes. um, so we've we've had our Kendra discussion. We'll let that sit where it is. Um, but here we have Faith, who is actually, you know, if there are two slayers, you know, first of all, there's always only been one. There's one chosen mm-hmm. one, one slayer, one girl in all the world has been the basic premise. So here we are messing with that premise and we're having two. And what happens when we do that? And I love the way that like almost every season of Buffy pretty much does that. It takes the, you know, what we've done before and then reframes it and gives us something new to kind of explore within that world, which I really, really love. Um, so then we get this surprise you know that Faith is also a slayer and she knows about Buffy like this is the thing Kendra knows everything Faith knows everything how does how come the why is the watchers why are they not telling Giles this stuff why are they not communicating things to Giles why did Giles not know that there was another slayer out there why did Giles not know that her watcher was killed why did Giles not get invited to the Cotswolds what the hell is going on we have one watcher, <laughs> one watcher who has the Slayer, right? And I mean, uh-huh. then we, so they, they knew about Faith. They assigned a watcher to her. The watcher was working with her. The watcher told her about Buffy. What is going on? Why is I, Giles it, left in the dark? He's the most important watcher they've got. It makes no sense. And the no. only explanation that I have is that mm-hmm. Giles doesn't know how email works. Maybe. Maybe they've been and, emailing like, him all along. Like, and he's just like, what? Well, no. He's like, this <laughs> dread <laughs> machine. Ah, you know. But I mean, they should know Giles well enough to know that they can still write a letter. Right. I mean, they still have letters and stamps in England. Do they not? Like, <laughs> it all It all just doesn't, like, it doesn't make any sense that Giles does not know anything about it. Um, but, you know, I also really love, too, that there they are. You know, Faith is is kicking ass. And Oz is the one to be like, looks like there's a new Slayer in town. Like, um, I love the fact that Oz is the one who, like, puts everything together and sees everything. I love the moment where he's, where he's like, so, how do you feel about werewolves? You yes. <laughs> And she's like, well, if you, if you don't bite me or hump my leg, I guess we're five by five. And then, of course, yeah. we get our first five by five, which is very fun, you know, for yes. Um, Because that becomes yes. kind of like her, her signature line, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, I love when she's, you know, doing her performative thing at the bronze. And she's like, isn't it crazy how Slane just always makes you hungry and horny? And they all look at Buffy. And she's like, sometimes I crave a nonfat yogurt afterward. It is and such I'm- a great contrast for the two of them. I'm completely calling bullshit on that. Yes. No one has ever craved a non-fat <laughs> yogurt in the history of ever. That's not how cravings work. Go ahead and at me. 
<laughs> oh my but god, it's so funny. What I love about that line, what I, what I mm-hmm. love about that line, and what I love about that whole scene is, you know, Faith is perched up like on the arm of a chair somewhere, and Buffy's kind of like slumped down yes. in this sort of with a sort of hangdog look yes. on her face. And what I love is that when Faith says that and everybody's head whips around <laughs> Buffy, Buffy does and says exactly what you would do right. if you were just completely outed right. in front of your friends. Like, yeah. we know we know that Faith is telling us the truth right. and that Buffy has <laughs> never, it's, it's never come up. You know, Buffy right. has never uh, disclosed this piece of information about Slayerdom. But what's yes. interesting is that when we do see Buffy in sexual situations throughout the run of the show, yeah. it often happens after there's some danger. Not slaying necessarily, but there's almost always yeah, something... there's some violence involved. Yeah, there's violence you know, Aside beforehand. from Parker in season four, you know, which... Which is just an aberration in every possible way. We'll talk about that when we get season four. Right now we're in season three, which is so wonderful and we love it. Season three um, is wonderful and yes. let's just stay in season three forever. Let's just stay in season three for a while. Um, except for, of course, now I'm about to take us into the thing about this episode that is freaking terrible. Oh my God. Which is Scott goddamn hope. Okay, here's the thing. And I'm just going to go off for a minute because this happens in every show and i have you know i've named this archetype the floppy haired douchebag right um not yes. always floppy haired sometimes floppy haired but always if not floppy haired literally he's floppy haired in his soul like <laughs> this is the guy who shows up and we're supposed to think he's just so great you know and he's so funny and he's so charming and he's so cute and all this stuff and we have it all over the Gilmore Girls and they're terrible men and we have it here and like happens all the time in TV shows this floppy haired douchebag archetype shows up and it's just like oh I want to go to the Buster Keaton festival and like he knows who Buster Keaton is and who gives a fuck like there's nothing (laughs) that's not how you build a relationship that's not like people i don't know so anyway so scott hope is the worst you know um <laughs> he's got this outwardly sweet cute guy thing and then he's he's not a character he's the floppy haired douchebag the guy that you know comes in and is supposed to be all cute and he's there for two or three episodes and he's the worst you know or he's dean on gilmore girls or whatever you know or logan on gilmore girls or basically every man that has ever kissed a gilmore girl um so we have this whole like you know he's he's so and uh, what is it Willow says this guy is charm, he is yeah. not charm. He's not. He's, he's like not a cardboard charm. cutout of a of a guy. Yeah, like he's, of like I the feel cute like, the cute boy. You know, he's. I mean, he's so it's so weird because he's totally nice, but also just completely boring. Yes. Like how is he's yeah. I don't. No, it's terrible. And we get a three beat with him, which is all, you know, set up, reinforce, and then reinforce again that he's the worst. Like, it's just, we don't even subvert, (laughs) you know? Um, But we get this, like, you know, he asks her to dance, and then she can't dance with him because she's got to go out after Faith. Then we have this horrible, oh, my God, thing in the hallway. It's just, it's terrible. Uh, Okay, you know, I got to... I know, be somewhere else, right? Think of this as my last-ditch effort. I realize that one more is going to qualify as stalking. I've given a lot of thought, some might say too much thought, to, to how I might be a part of your life. It begins with conversation. We all know this. Maybe over a cup of coffee or maybe at the Buster Keaton Festival playing on State Street all this weekend. So that's terrible. 
he's he's doing this whole i've given it a lot of thought it starts with conversation like shut up did he practice this in front of his mirror this morning i think he did and already he has a clutter ring for her first of all like no you don't buy a girl a ring of any sort Unless you've been together for a while, and that is a thing that you are at in the relationship. It's a place that you're at in the relationship. But rings, I mean, any gift is weird before you've gone on your first date. But, like, the idea of buying her a clotter ring, which, of course, is an Irish wedding ring. I mean, it has a very strong romantic context. We already saw what happened when Angel gave Buffy the clotter, which, by the way, he'd earned... He'd earned the right to give her a clotta at that point. You know? um, well, yeah. Also, yeah. they had to get married so they could have sex because no, there is that. otherwise there is that you're us. Yeah. Mm. There is that too. There is that too. Um, anyway. But, so he gives her this clotta. And of course, like we're using it in the fiction as a trigger for her because that's, of course, the ring that, that Angel gave her. And she sees it and she drops it. And she says, I can't do this. And she backs off. Now, that is regardless of whether the clotta had been a thing or whether he'd given her anything in that little box from the jewelry store. She should drop it and say, I can't do this. You're too weird. Bye. You know, um, that's absolutely <laughs> the correct response to that. Um But, you know, we have that whole thing and then she's like, I can't do this. And she starts crying and she's upset. Then he picks up the box and leaves. And at that point, you know, a normal show would realize they've made a terrible, terrible mistake and just let it die and like make him go away and never come back. Um, So then we have Giles come out and he, you know, tells her that Faith's Watcher's dead and we move into that. But then our last beat with Scott Hope is where Buffy has, has, uh, you know, unloaded her experience onto Willow and Giles, has told them what really happened. Then she's, you know, she's free from the trauma she goes out into the hallway and stalks him right and waits outside his class he comes out and she gives him this whole thing about i'd like to go to the festival with you and then he's like well no i have to think about it and then he does that two second turnaround i thought about it let's go um also stupid also highly performative also incredibly floppy haired douchebag like that's classic (laughs) floppy haired douchebag material um and then they're gonna go and and you know and now they're like dating or whatever for buster keaton and also why is it buster keaton why is that a charming thing it should be something that buffy that we know buffy would like like if we're gonna set up these two characters and force them together in one episode of knowing this guy there should be something that they connect on or that he gets about her that makes him seem like he might possibly be a good guy for her um but this whole buster keaton thing has she ever mentioned buster keaton does she like buster keaton did she have to go and look up on the internet who the fuck buster keaton was after he asked her out the first time yeah maybe (laughs) maybe you know fair enough right Um, I mean, oh, God. Yeah, because because guys who like black and white movies are deep, Lonnie. Yes, no, that's right. That's right. It's our shortcut. Yeah, our shortcut to depth and, you know, character and whatever. Yeah, our shortcut to depth is anything that was popular before you were born. Yes, I mean, that's really and that's. And that's another thing, too, like the pop culture references that come because the pop culture references are always belonging to the writer who is usually in a, in a high school show about 15 years older than any of the high school kids. And so like the references that high school kids regularly have, you know, meanwhile, whatever actually was popular at that time, like nobody's talking about, I don't know, fucking InSync or whatever, like nobody's talking about Justin Timberlake. But here we are right. referencing Buster Keaton, whatever, you know. Yeah. 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 Although... Although, yes, (laughs) to be fair, I I, if they had made Scott Hope a little bit 
nerdier because okay yeah. full disclosure been consistent with his character all along absolutely full disclosure I was the nerdy kid who grew up watching Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. So, like, that would have been a reference for me in high school. Oh, um, sure. Yeah, but... I mean, and, and, like, that's fine. Like, I was yeah. into Motown. I was listening to 60s music. <laughs> I knew the Temptations when I was in high school, you know? Yes! Um, so, I mean, like, yeah. And I watched all the, I knew all the 1930s romantic comedies. I was into Cary Grant. Like, I get that. But that, like, it has to be part of a whole character it's that is that more... thing. As yeah, opposed he's... to all of the kids knowing this stuff. Right. You know? Well, and also, also, I mean, we... We've said it already, but Scott, he's not, there's no character there. There's no there there. He's just a boy who likes Buffy. No, we're just like slapping. We we took a cardboard cutout and we slapped some character, you know, qualities on him. And that's it. None (laughs) of it's, none of it's consistent. None of it makes any sense. And there's no reason why Buffy would be necessarily into that guy, you know, Um, but whatever, you know, but he's cute and it's high school and whatever, like cute boys count for a lot in high school and, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, But overall, he's the, the overly performative, you know, it starts with conversation. Here's your clattering. Oh, I have to think about it. Yes, let's go. All of that stuff is terrible. (laughs) <laughs> and it's a little bit like it's not entirely he's like Owen 2.0 right Owen was our first floppy haired douchebag yes. right you know like I read Emily Dickinson and I'm into death <laughs> like y- no you know like it's just it's just whatever and Owen actually though was a little bit more consistently at least characterized than Scott Hope but um but Scott Hope is is the the literal worst and I'm so tired of all these floppy haired douchebags and please stop writing floppy haired douchebags people. Um <laughs> although of course I realize I'm saying this to people who were writing it 20 years ago whatever. Um but one of the things in this episode though that is fantastic and that I love and will love forever is the introduction of Mr. Trick. Mr. Trick. Oh my god, I love this guy. And I mean, this intro is fantastic. Sunnydale. Town's got coin. Then the people. You call me sir. Don't you just miss that? I mean, admittedly, it's not a haven for the brothers, you know, strictly the Caucasian persuasion here in the Dale. But, you know, you just gotta stand up and salute that death rate. I ran a statistical analysis and hello, darkness. So I love Mr. Trick. Yes. Full stop. I mm-hmm. love this introduction yes. of a character. I love that he calls out the whiteness in Sunnydale. Yes, but that's kind of that's all he does. Yeah, and it's interesting to me. You know, we talk about race on the show a little bit. Yeah, um, and I think it's interesting that Buffy the show mm-hmm. talks about race by not talking about it. Like oh, yeah. we let we let Mister Trick have this line. Yeah. But that's kind of all we do. And, and then, I think that's and then really it's, telling. Yeah. It's like, okay, we've acknowledged it, you know, because they've gotten letters clearly by this point. Why is everybody white except for Kendra who <laughs> dies? Right? Right. Um, you know, and uh, so, you know, we've got the acknowledgement of it. And here we have a character, like an actually written, interesting character who I love. And he is the polar opposite of Scott Hope in every way. He's an actual character. He actually has like things that he's interested in. He's excited. I love his enthusiasm for everything. Like I love him. I love him where he's like, well, now I'm hungry. And he pulls the guy out of the drive through. I love his relationship to fast food. I I love love that that we get 
fast food, but then we also get pizza delivery. And of course, yes. it's not the pizza that they're eating. It's the and pizza again, guy. It's fast food. I know. So good. Which I love. Like he is using what is available in the world to his benefit. And I like it. And I also, I have to say, and I know this is just me. I love that he loves technology. I love that he comes in. If I was a vampire at that time, I would have made that exact same speech. <laughs> we got ourselves some fiber optics in this town. We're going to jack into a T3, 250 or 2,500 megs per second. I was like, I love him so much talking about the, the height of technology at the he time. He's a vampire with a plan. He's a vampire with a plan. He's he's hanging out with Kakistos. And of course, like, you know, having a character of color be a, you know, secondhand guy to like the the bad guy that we're dealing with, you know, fine, whatever. But I mean, then at the end, we get that lovely moment from him where he's just like, wow, he's going to get killed. Oh, well, prayers are with him. You know, and he's just like, <laughs> I am not at all signed up to die for anybody. Like, you know, this is like the modern vampire. <laughs> knows yeah, better. he's the modern and vampire. Then, and then we drop the stupid cultish vampire nonsense, like, which is a bit much. Um, yeah. So I love that he kind of he kind of brings in in the way that faith kind of reframes you know the slayer lore and the and the world of the slayer and what that can be he comes in and he kind of reframes um the way the vampires can be which is what spike did last season Mm -hmm. You know, so so he is definitely he's got a very spike energy. He's very fun. He's very smart. Um, you know, he's he's out for himself. And I think that it's great. You know, yes. um, it's so it's so fantastic. Since we don't have Spike, you know, very much. We had him for one episode this season since we've lost Spike. Having Trick come in is kind of nice. It makes me miss Spike a lot less. Yeah. He reminds me of Spike a lot. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, especially his line about. You know, the yeah. master, master could get killed and then they leave, you know, Spike and becoming part two. He's going to kill her. And then he shrugs yes. and walks away. Yes. It's just like, yes, eh. it's <laughs> like, the same all thing. right. Which yeah. is how the vampires should be. The idea totally. that vampires are willing to light themselves on fire just to send a message to Buffy in the middle of class. Like, no, that's not well, how vampires work. That's not how vampires work. And it's not how vampires work. Generally speaking, in yeah. vampire stories, vampires yeah. are, you know, we get this idea from Buffy that vampires are kind of stuck in the time when they were turned. But of course, we don't yeah. see that. Yeah. We see it when it's convenient. We get our 70s we need vampires. Yeah. yeah. But in general, vampires have access to whatever the newest technology is. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's. Honestly, I think it's part of what makes them scary is because yeah. they're around forever, they get to see things change and they get to yeah. update with the time. So I love I love Mr. Trick and Spike being the modern vampire. Being that kind of vampire. Yeah, because mm -hmm. those vampires are cool and those vampires are scary. You cannot predict them as well as you can the cult members who will follow whoever their leader is, which is stupid, you know? Um, so all of it, I don't know. I find... Um, I find it to be really, really good. I like the fact that we have a very interesting, well-written character of color, and that's really nice. Um, but of course, like Buffy and the way that Buffy deals with race is, you know, is very much this kind of like, yeah, we understand that this is how it is, but this is how it is. And they, they don't really go to challenge those ideas very much. Mm -hmm. You know, we just accept everybody's white here, and now Trick is going to be dealing with that as well. And we don't, I think... 
really like textually mention race again with Trick, do we? I'm not sure that we do. We might. I don't and think everybody so. everybody out Maybe. there who remembers that happening is gonna like yell at the at the thing. Because yeah, I always get yelled at they're like, No, you forgot this. I know, I know, I forget stuff. It happens. Um <laughs> there's a lot of Buffy out there. Um but uh but I mean we but still we've got this like space for you know, our characters of color, right? They can be entertaining. They can be second in command to white people. Um, they don't really get their own stories. They don't really get their own thing going on. Because as much like we had Spike, and Spike was great, but Spike had Drusilla. Spike yeah. had that whole, you know, a conflict with Angelus. Yeah. Um, Spike was, you know. And and here, you know, with Trick, we let him into that space a little bit, but not mm-hmm. a lot. And And I mean, the thing is, like, overall, and again, like, I'm not saying that the writers of Buffy are, like, horribly racist and this, but our stories reflect us back at ourselves and people who write stories, write stories like based on, they, they take what they've seen and what they've been exposed to. And then they move that into a new space. And so it's always being like shoved. And if you have, again, like an entire, and I'm fairly sure I can't be a hundred percent sure, but I'm fairly sure the entire like writing crew is all white, you know, um, they are not seeing these things as clearly as like we can see them now that we've had much more work coming from a more diverse, you know, creative um, core of, of people working in TV shows and books and, and all that kind of stuff. We're seeing that open up a lot more. So for us, we've been exposed to things that a lot of these people haven't been. And again, it's that terroir, right? I mean, our our culture itself is racist. So if you're writing within the culture, you're bringing some of that, unless mm-hmm. you are super conscious of it, and unless right. you have people on your staff who are conscious of it, and it's usually only the people who are directly affected by it who are more conscious of it, right. then you end up with this kind of thing happening. And I don't think that it's deliberate. I don't think that these people are bad people. I'm not going to say like they're all racist and terrible and blah, 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 and whatever. But it is something that I think is important to kind of like point out so that as we move through it, we're not allowing that stuff to kind of sit in the back of our head unchallenged. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Trick, something that, that Mr. Trick really does for us in this episode, I think, is move us, start to move us away from vampires as like quasi-religious kind of cultish followers of a master. I mean, he refers to Kukistos as the master. Of course, we had the master. Right. And he Mm -hmm. was, you know, he was very much a cult leader. And I don't think we're going to see that. We're going to see vampires in a different light. Yeah. And and more interesting, more individual, more out for themselves, which I think is really good. And speaking of cultish loyalty, we here at Chipperish Media don't ask for cultish loyalty like Kikistos, but we do need your support in order to bring our shows to you free and ad free. Shows like Still Dead about Angel the Series hosted by me and Dr. Kelly Jones. Listen up A-Holes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe hosted by me and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. And our Star Wars podcast, Metaphors Be With You, hosted by Rob Hyrett. What makes Chipperish Media possible is the support of generous listeners like you whose monthly donations make everything we do available for everyone. Patrons also get access to our Discord chat where really smart people who love stories go above and beyond what we can viably discuss in our shows. And you get exclusive content like Two Host Minimum, our upcoming patron-exclusive podcast where we mix and match chipperish hosts to talk about patron-requested movies, books, and TV shows. So thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can help us keep slow laying every week all right so we've talked about uh buffy and faith we've talked about joyce we've talked about all sorts of stuff can we spend a little time talking about willow oh my god yes oh my god i love willow (laughs) 
Willow. I love her excitement about everything. <laughs> She's she is walking awkward in this yes. episode and I I love it. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. And I'm with Oz when he says I love it when you do that. I know. <laughs> You're supposed to stop me when I do that. And he's like, "I like it when you I do that." It's do so that. incredibly cute. I love her excitement about going off campus and yet she can't because there might be rules. Um and then her enthusiasm for the magic. You know, she's like into yes. the sage and she knows all this stuff. And then we're seeing the <laughs> beginning of this, this, you know, sort of mentor, but like worried mentor relationship with Giles, mm-hmm. you know, um, where it was like, he's like, these forces are not something one plays around with Willow. What have you been doing? You know, and she's like, nothing. It's fine. It's um, the best yeah. father daughter confrontation. It it's is. it's possibly one of the best father daughter interactions that we have. Although I understand that they're not, that's not the relationship that they have. But her little, are you mad at me? Like yeah. I so see that. Like oh crap, dad is gonna bust I me. Or... But you know he would understand though because like he was Willow. You know, yes. when he was younger, he yeah. got around, he was messing with forces that he didn't understand and that got mm-hmm. him into a lot of trouble. And that, of course, you know, was the, the demon that ended up taking over Jenny, you know, mm-hmm. and after everything that happened with Jenny, of course, he's still feeling all of that, you know. So he's looking at Willow and is worried because he knows what's at the end of that path. Like he knows yes. where that takes you. And Willow doesn't. Willow just has the enthusiasm. Yeah. So I love seeing all of her enthusiasm. I love all of that about her. But I also love Giles like being, you know, I mean, he's 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 giving her the, the side eye about it, you know, but it's, it's a protective <laughs> thing. Like he doesn't yeah. want to see her get hurt. He doesn't want to see her get into into danger at the same time. You know, she's clearly a talented, you know, magical force and she can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And the the way that she kind of sort of but not quite shows off for him yeah. with her knowledge of the oh, yeah. you know, the magical materials. Yeah. It's very cute. It's really mm-hmm. it's it's really very much that like I'm asking you to tell me this is okay without really asking you to tell me this is okay. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. Cause, and she you wants know, to connect with him on that because he knows magic, you know, and he might know things. And, like, mm-hmm. she's so into it. And she wants, I think she wants a teacher. I think she wants that, you know. And and he is so, like, put on the brakes. Like, what are you doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really nice to kind of see that. And it's so, like, lightly touched on. It's not a huge story moment. You know, it's not a big narrative. We're not having a conflict between Giles and Willow. But you can right. see that kind of brewing, like the big brew and evil, right? You can see that kind of <laughs> brewing underneath, you know? Um, and it's so we, it's so wonderful. I love all of that. And I love the little moment. It's so subtle. But yeah. when Faith is being flirtatious with Giles and um, Buffy says, raise your hand if you. Yeah. And Xander's, Xander's hand goes up. And Willow's doesn't. She just kind of yeah. looks over at Giles all sweetly. And we get that little hint of a kind of a crush. She gets it. It's so <laughs> cute. I, I love it. And it's it's not pointed out. It yeah. just is there. And it's mm-hmm. adorable. It's adorable. <laughs> I love how nuanced the Willow-Giles relationship is. It's so great. I really love it. And I love that moment, too, where she's like, you got to find the fun, B." 
a feet. A feet. You know? <laughs> Where she's picking up on the faith energy, you know, Poor and they're all Willow. really energized by that. Poor Willow trying so hard. And she's she's so invested. We didn't this is something we didn't talk about with yeah. Scott. Willow is really invested in the idea of Buffy dating yeah. Scott. Yeah. And I didn't know what to make of that. I love all of the like the sweet, awkward willow that we get, but it also feels a little bit I don't know, just a little bit out of character for Willow that she would be pressing Buffy so hard yeah. to be dating. Mm-hmm. Or to be interested in this boy right. just because he was interested in her last year. Yeah. And I, I don't think, know. I think that Willow wants Buffy to stop hurting over Angel. Like, I always read it that way, that mm. she she wants Buffy to stop feeling that pain. And so, you know, from her perspective, like, the best way to get over an old guy is get under a new one, you know, um, that can... <laughs> You know, so to yeah. speak. I mean, it's it's high school, so, but still. Um, right. You know, that like, here's this guy and he's cute and, you know, maybe it could help you, you know, feel better and feel happy. And I think that that's generally what she wants. And also, I think that probably, you know, if you've got a boyfriend and your friend doesn't have a boyfriend, you kind of want to double date. You kind of want to, yeah. like, you know, they have the whole yeah. uncoupling thing before they go to see Buffy. Like, Which perhaps we should so uncouple. Which is you know. That is yeah. so sweet. Willow saying, oh, maybe yeah. we shouldn't be too coupley around Buffy. Yeah. I yeah. I love that moment, but then to launch immediately into the oh, there's Scott Hope. He likes you, kind of. I don't right. Know. I think Feels I think a it little was heavy-handed. It is a little heavy-handed. I think it was what the the writers wanted, and so they made Willow do it. You know, I mean, I think that like, happens with Willow sometimes. I think that happens. It happens with everybody sometimes. I mean, sure. sometimes you've just got stuff you're putting into, and you need somebody to like have an enthusiasm <laughs> for it or whatever. You we know, just need kind of someone that. to say this line. God exactly. Damn it. Come exactly. On. <laughs> like they're they're nudging Willow and giving her some cue cards and being like, "Say this for us," because we can't step into the narrative and say it ourselves. So just do it. <laughs> um, so I mean, I you know, but I I do understand it a little bit from Willow's point of view. I think that she really just wants Buffy to not be so sad. You know, and that maybe having a new boyfriend will make her less sad. Although Scott Hope makes everybody sad, whether they're dating him or not, (laughs) because he's terrible. (laughs) So speaking of terrible, actually, okay, Xander. Xander's a little bit terrible. Oh, (laughs) Xander. We have this cute moment at the beginning, right, where he says, oh, you want a date. I saw that half smile, you little slut. And then Buffy hits him like lightly for Buffy. And he starts laughing. He's like, ow. And I'm like, "Okay, that's good because we called him on it. You know, like it's like so it's funny and it's okay with Xander when he's gross as long as he's getting called on it. You know, then we have this whole thing with um, with Faith, right, where Faith Mm -hmm. is talking about how she, you know, ran out naked Mm-hmm. And she's sitting up on the back of the chair. So her yeah. crotch is right at Xander's eye level. And when she says, I was naked, he looks at her crotch and it is <laughs> disgusting. God. Like, oh God. it is disgusting. And then later on, he's like, oh, you know, were you naked when you were wrestling the vampire or whatever? And then Cordelia's like, Xander, find a new theme, you know? Um, and I was I glad love Cordelia, Cordelia called him on it. I but love I'm not that sure moment. it's enough. When he yeah. looks at her crotch, it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't love the interaction in the beginning where he yeah. calls Buffy a slut. Yeah. Um, I like that she whacks him. I like that it yes. hurts. But then, of course, she doubles back and says, yes, okay, I do want a date. And I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't know. 
I don't like it. And guys, let's not call people sluts unless they call themselves yeah. sluts, please. Like, I'm so sick of it. And then Cordelia, no, if they call themselves sluts, yeah. let them call themselves sluts. Don't call anybody else a slut because a slut is a word that has been used to control women throughout the years to shame women who are at all interested in having sex, you know, or even... enjoy sex or even wear a tank top, right? It's a word that doesn't mean anything like it really yeah. doesn't it just means it's it's just misogyny it's unless you language. take it on yourself and reclaim yes. it it's not yeah whatever whatever and if somebody wants to reclaim it for themselves they can do that if somebody has you know if there's two girlfriends who have you know used this and they're reclaiming the word and they call each other slut fine you know <laughs> Don't call women sluts, don't call though, sl yeah. generally, unless you personally in your relationship have a context for it. And even then, maybe don't do it in front of other people because it is it is a, a word like so many words that we have in our language that is used specifically, you know, to hurt people. Mm -hmm. And um, and the people who are hurt by it get to decide how they want to use it. But nobody else can, you know. And um, so, I mean, that's one of the things like it's just one of those words that you just shouldn't use. And I mean, again, granted, at this time, we weren't we didn't have as much knowledge and understanding of that and whatever. I just like that he gets hit. <laughs> I yes. just like if he's going to say it, at least he gets it. At least we say that's not OK. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but again, like Xander, we have like it, he's cute and he's funny and there's all these. But like there's so many things that need to be called out. And so often they don't get called out. So mm -hmm. at least they got called out in this episode. Um, but the, the looking at her crotch though was, yeah. and the, the, oh, tell me the stories about the times that you were naked. Um, <laughs> I know he's a teenage boy, I'm but I'm sorry, I don't make believe friends. that all like, teenage boys are incapable of having any sensitivity or any context, like that they're just so obsessed with sex that it's just okay because they're boys, boys will be boys. It's not okay. And it's not good enough for Xander. Xander... And this is, I think, what really bothers me the most about Xander is that I love Xander. That Xander yeah. is exactly the kind of guy that I love. I love he's funny. He's smart. He's sensitive. I mean, he's smart in ways that are not book smart, but whatever. Um, but he's he's got all of these wonderful qualities that I really love in him. And so whenever he does this stuff, I, I just, I need it to be called out. I need it to not be, you know, stamped, rubber stamped is okay. You know, because yeah. I love everything else about Sander and I have so much love for him, which well, may speak that... about me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I love that we have Cordelia to kind mm -hmm. of offset yes. some of Xander. You know, she yeah. says, you know, find a new theme. And then later mm -hmm. in the in the high school, when uh, they're all watching Faith, I don't know, what does she do? She's like at the drinking fountain and then she's talking to, to Scott. Yeah. And um Cordelia says to Xander, what is it with you and Slighters? <laughs> like right. she, just, she just calls like she's not yeah. going to she's not going to let this get in the way of. And she doesn't get insecure about it, which yeah. is what I love about Cordelia. Yeah. She's not insecure about any of this. She's like, should I dress up as a slayer and put a speck or put a stick I to your neck? You know? loved that line. Yeah. I loved yeah. it. That was great. Yeah. That was a great. Now, th and that is how you offset the grossness yeah I, th I mean for my money like for mm -hmm. me that works yeah Cordelia you know going along with Xander and kind of being, being and allowing him to it. be attracted like yeah. it's okay that you're attracted to somebody else you're a human person totally you know how you act on it you know is a yeah. different thing but like she's saying all right if this is a thing that works for you I'll bring it in 
let's go ahead and <laughs> let's embrace this whole thing. You know, she's like, I know my value, you know, and you see that so rarely always whenever anybody in a relationship is interested or, or sees anybody else as attractive, we instantly follow it up with this insecure, you know, uh, you're betraying me kind of thing, yeah. whatever. And she's just like, no, nah, I'm into it. Give me a steak. Yeah. Or we get the toxic <laughs> jealousy thing where jealousy yes. is supposed to be mm-hmm. a marker of like a good relationship because, right. you know, like if I want to pommel the person who looks yeah. at my person, that means I really love my person. What? No, yeah. no, no, yeah. no, no, no. Dress up as a slayer. It's fine. Dress up as a slayer. That's how you handle it. Yep. Um, all right. So for a couple of little things, um, we have uh, so the Giles stuff, right? Oh, Which um, Giles, where he is trying to get the details about what happened with Akathla from Buffy. And of course, the whole thing is just he just wants her to talk about it. You know, it's not about a binding spell. You know, it's not about any of that. He just he knows something's up. He knows something else happened and he wants to get her to talk about it. So what did you think about that? I have feelings about that. Uh Uh-huh. Because demonstrably, it is important that Buffy talk about what really happened and what her experience was. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't like, I don't like Giles being sneaky in that way and getting information out of her like that. It feels emotionally manipulative. Yes. And I'm super uncomfortable with it. It is emotionally manipulative and it doesn't work. She comes to that on her own, you know, like she doesn't, she doesn't tell him that because of the spell. She tells him that because she's gotten to the point where she can process it. She tells him in Willow and which by the way, okay, let me just address this. Um, Previously on still pretty, I had said that nobody talks about the fact that she killed angel that he had turned before she killed him um, until season seven or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's not true. Clearly they talk about it here. People were yelling at me. They're like, no, they talk about it like next week. And I'm like, all right, fine. Um, so I did I did forget that. But the, the thing that they don't talk about is that Xander told Buffy to um, right. to kick his ass. And that was the thing, too, that I was like, why have they not talked about that before? Then why did that not come out? You know, um, mm-hmm. so fine. Yes, I was I was wrong here. Clearly, yeah. Willow and Giles knows. And then, of course, like everybody else is going to know that Angel turned back and he had a soul by the time that she killed him. Right. Okay, so we're good. Um, but back to Giles. Um, <laughs> he he was, you know, kind of, uh, he was lying, clearly, and he was trying to get Buffy to talk about it. And in the end, that's not what got her to talk about it. That's not what got it to work. So, like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of, on the one hand, I like the fact that he's tuned in. I like the fact that he knows, mm-hmm. you know, and he feels that she needs to talk about it. And he doesn't think that she'll talk about it if he outright asks her. You know what happened. Yeah. Um, so, like, I get that I, he's doing it to protect her, but I do agree with you. It is manipulative, and it's not really a fair thing to do because when she is ready, clearly that's when she'll talk about it, and she does. Yeah, yeah. I I love where he's coming from. Like, yeah, I love, and I love the Giles who is so in tune with Buffy that he knows that there's something else that she needs to talk Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. and that unburdening that will help her. Yeah. But the, the lie, the, the sort of subtle, I know something about you and I'm not going to tell you that I know, I'm just going to kind of dance around it. That mm -mm, I don't like it. Yeah. 
Don't no, like it. I don't like it either. I don't like it either. I don't think it's very good. Um, all right. So one more thing that we got in this episode very quickly. Snyder mentions the mayor, right? Yes. So we're going to be starting to set that up. You know, we come in, in in episode three is when things usually start to ramp up for whatever this season's big bad is going to be. Um, and we don't see the mayor. We don't really interact with the mayor, but we do get a sense of the mayor. And, and we've been kind of seeding that since season two. You know, we've had Snyder mention the mayor a couple of times, you know. Um, so I like that we're, we're kind of building into that. At this point, you look at it and you say, well, Kakistos is going to be our big bad. No, he dies. Yeah. Trick is going to be our big bad and he is worthy of it. So at this point, you're thinking, ooh, Trick's going to be the guy, you know, which could be yeah. really, really cool. Um, but we've got the mayor kind of brewing the big brewing evil in the background, you know, which <laughs> I think is going to be really, really fun. And when he mentions the mayor and I'm like, oh, my God, you know, because so much great stuff happens in season three. Yes. You know, that like, I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's faith and faith is here and all this stuff going on. Oh, trick, a trick is here. And all this. and then it's like, oh, the mayor. the mayor, like that is the mayor is such a great, great villain and antagonist for the season. I absolutely love it. And I'm so excited to see him kind of, you know, step onto the stage here. I love the slow burn introduction of yeah. any character. I love it. I'm so excited yeah. to get to talk about the mayor. I know it's going to be so much fun, but we can't talk about it just yet. But we can talk about is, I don't know, Noelle, what are you wearing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got into some, we covered some of the, the clothing, the costuming already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the we have that reprise of Buffy spotting a vampire based on his clothing style. Yeah. Um, although... I would be more inclined to say that it's his style of dance and not his there style of dress too. that calls him out. But there is that. Yes. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but I love everything about the visual mm-hmm. contrast between Buffy and Faith. I mean, soft and yeah. hard, light and dark. And they just look so good together. And I do they mean do. together because I <laughs> ship that so hard. Oh, there is some great sexual tension between uh, Buffy and Faith. Absolutely. And it's just, I mean, sparks are flying. It's wonderful. Sparks are flying. Also, I had a pair of those round toe chunky heel boots that Faith wears, and now (gasps) I really wish I still had them. Well, we clearly need to go and find you a pair. Clearly. I mean, I will be- And then you can do Faith cosplay. If we ever if we ever get a chipper con put together, we'll have to have you do that. Yeah, we'll just yeah. <laughs> Dye your hair black and give you some really sharp makeup and it'll oh, be man. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, anyway. Anyway, yes. But yes. Um, yeah. Angel's dreamy white shirt, of course. So we get mm-hmm. that lovely like blood spreading from the inside out, which is just mm-hmm. so evocative, so well done. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, no, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And we color coordinated our couples in this too. Like Oz has the same, yes. like uh, in the beginning, Willow's pants are the same color as Oz's shirt. And then we have Scott Hope, you know, always wearing these like pastel colors that sort of reflect Buffy, you know? Um, <laughs> they yeah. do. Yeah. They do tend to costume couples together. A little bit. A little Which bit. Is, we have a little bit of harmony there in, yeah, in the color bit. coding. So, yeah, that's bit. kind of fun. That's kind of fun. All right. So for Arg the Patriarchy, I think, like, you know, sluts. I mean, don't call stop, people sluts. Let's stop just calling not, people sluts, Let's guys. just not do that. Especially, and also, guys, when a woman yeah. is talking, don't look at her crotch. I mean, it's one thing. Like, don't look at her boobs either. <laughs> look at her face. <laughs> look at her eyes. Don't look at her crotch. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> hey, come on, guys. My <laughs> vagina's down here. Like, really. <laughs> Seriously. Stop looking at my boobs. <laughs> My vagina's down here. 
All my right. vagina's down here. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, stop calling people sluts. I really don't like that Cordelia refers to fl- to Faith as slutorama. Yeah. I mean, before yeah. we know who she is. I'm just like, no, no. Anytime yeah. a girl calls another girl a slut, I'm like, uh-uh. It pulls Internalized me right out. learned misogyny. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Don't like you it. Know, and of and, course, yeah. yeah. And of course, the systems of, you know, white supremacy, that's mm-hmm. that patriarchy and white supremacy are real good buddies. And we they address skip it here. down and, the lane hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yep. do. They really we address do. it so here, but don't address stuff. it. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's it's, it's our that. culture reflected back at us, guys. We got to face it. It's pretty yeah, come terrible. Come guys. We got to fix okay. this. We got to work on We're some fix- stuff. We, we are fix fixing it. it. It is getting better. It's not it's not where it should be yet, but it is getting a lot better. When I when I come from, you know, like stuff from the mid-90s and I move into stuff that's more modern, I'm seeing a huge difference. A lot of that stuff is being weeded out, and that's really, really good, and that goes with diversity in your storytellers. That's the only way to combat that appropriately and effectively. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're seeing that a lot more, and it's really, really good. But again, we are critiquing the culture. We're not calling the writers bad people. It's a, it's a reflection of the culture. It's what was happening back then. So we're just calling it out. Um, but one of the great things, we got a girl power moment of the week. What's your girl power moment of the week? My girl power moment of the week is Buffy coaching Faith through her terror. When oh, yeah. comes through the motel room door and Buffy's just like, you know, Faith, Faith just crumbles because she's so traumatized and yeah. Buffy gets her out of there and then... You know, once they once they've got a little bit of space, you know, reassures her you did the right thing by running. Mm-hmm. It's it's really really good. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially seeing the both yeah. of them processing their trauma is kick ass. It really is. It's, that's <laughs> and, a dif- difficult thing to do, but it's really nicely done. And that great little coda after they've after they've dusted Kikistos. You hungry? <laughs> no. <I'm laughs> <sorry. laughs> Yeah, it is. It's so cute. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, what's your favorite part? Well, that actually ties really nicely into my favorite part, <laughs> which is yes. faith and food. Yeah, there is a fantastic thing that happens with faith and food, and of course, we hear from mm-hmm. her that you know slaying makes you hungry and horny, right? But mm-hmm. one of the moments that I love so much is. Faith at dinner with mm-hmm. Joyce and Buffy. And Faith has this like nice, balanced variety of colorful foods on her plate. And she's just yeah. so happy to be eating, right. which I love. This and, poor kid. I mean, and meanwhile, Buffy has fries, nothing yep. else, just fries mm-hmm. that she doesn't touch. And yep. I think that this is really fascinating. I mean, I could go on for hours about the depictions of food and eating in Buffy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But the contrast between slayers in that scene is especially meaningful because Buffy yeah. is denying herself the nourishment of connection mm-hmm. while Faith is ravenous. Faith is scooping up connection left and right. Buffy worries that Faith is trying to replace her, but Faith has no one. And she's trying yeah. to connect with all of these people. And mm-hmm. we see this with her varied plate of food, which she's yeah. just gobbling. Mm-hmm. And the perfect ending to this scene of Faith just like feeling so um, at home, but also on edge in this yeah. domestic scene. 
We yeah, well, think, she has to yeah. grab as much of it as she can while it's there. Yeah. Like, the way that she's going after the food, you know, yeah. when Buffy takes a look back at her. I you know, and she's just digging love into it. everything. I you know? love and it. It's like, because she doesn't know when she's going to have another nice meal. Yep. We Well, we you know, see it's, her. It's insecurity. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we see her alone at the table, and she's picking all the good bits out of the serving bowls with her hands and just cramming it all in as fast as yeah. she can. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't know, not only does she not know where her next meal is coming yeah. from, but also her next opportunity for that kind of nourishing human connection. Yeah. It's this mm-hmm. really, really great metaphor, Yeah, I think. I think that we'll see, and I imagine we're going to see more of that with, with mm-hmm. Faith's whole way of being. Yeah. You know, cram it all in as fast yeah. as possible because Grab what you can while you can. It might yeah. be going away. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. I love faith and food so much. Yeah. No, it's really, really good. What's your favorite um, part? Uh, you know, for me, I think it's um it's when Buffy tells Giles and Willow what happened. Um, her processing of this trauma, you know, working through it on her own. She's not responding to Giles's, you know, manipulations. You know, she's doing it on her own time. Um, and when she tells them, she just lets it. And then she says, I've been holding that in, you know, and mm-hmm. it feels good to let it go. And I thought that was really great. And I like that. And I also like, you know, when she goes at the end of the episode, you know, she's she's it's it's the sandwich, you know, with this horrible Scott Hope thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, where she goes and she <laughs> decides to go out with him. And then she's like, there's just one more thing I have to do and then I'll be free. Right. And so she goes to the mansion and she puts her clattering on the floor and she says goodbye. And then right in that spot, some hours later, right. Angel suddenly <laughs> appears. And I love that. I absolutely love it. Um, so I think that that's really great. I love her taking control of her trauma, processing it in the way that she needs to in her own time, sharing it with her friends, and then using that symbol. You know, ritual and symbol are a thing for a reason, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you can use the the symbols in your life to do something that helps you release these things, it can be really, really powerful. And so I love the way that she did that. And, and you know, second favorite to that is just everything trick. You know? <laughs> well, our prayers are with them. Yeah. <laughs> Hopes and prayers. <laughs> Hopes and prayers, baby. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud and use the hashtag still pretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who are never bored here in the home of the big brew and evil. Visit patreon.com slash Chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by finding the fun be a fee. We'll be back next time with Beauty and the Beast, the fourth episode of season three. Until then, if we don't do something, the master could get killed. Well, our prayers are with him. Bye.